Hey everyone, and thanks for listening to a new episode of Tinker Talk, the series in which we answer questions inspired by the last chapter of our book, Tinker. In this episode, you're going to hear from myself, Phil Brown, Chris Damboys, Lisa Hunt, and Jim Grout. Enjoy! Uh, the question was, in a previous, I don't know if you, you've listened to the most previous one, uh, Jim, the Tinker one, it was about um, how we learn our craft, mm-hmm. like what yeah. things, and nearly every single person in that question uh, referenced um, learning from mistakes they'd made. And so the question from Lisa was, um, we referenced many times mistakes, but what were, what do we consider mistakes and did we know at the time they were mistakes or was it an in hindsight? And would my mistake be something that you would also consider as a mistake? Or is it something that I just internalize as a thing that I didn't do right? So a larger question on us making overall mistakes. For me, yeah, those times when you're like, oh, that was really a mistake. I made, I blew it. Sometimes those have turned out to be like non-issues for anybody other than myself. And so that's all internal, like, because it didn't go the way I predicted or imagined it would go. Well, I've, I think of that like the early stage of having these outcomes in mind when I used to do outdoor red or whatever, even when I started here, like outcomes of what was going to happen and then you do something and it doesn't go out the way you wanted it to go. And it, they may have seen success, but for you, it wasn't what you perceived the outcome was going to be. So you weren't going with the group. You had a plan and you expect the group to meet your plan. And so then, of course, it's going to feel like a mistake, but maybe in that itself, that's the mistake. <laughs> you know, assuming an outcome was the mistake, but in the moment you thought that the program didn't work for whatever reason. A clear example of that for me, um, a couple recent trainings where I recognize they were slowing down. I wanted to get through X number of element operations in a day because they had this many on their course and they needed to know that information. I always say a byproduct of our time together might be that their group becomes more cohesive and understanding of how they work together. They're slowing it down and remarking on the team building aspect of the training that doesn't allow us to get to all the elements. But do you, do you cut that off? Of course you don't cut that off, but that's the byproduct that I didn't plan for, but they're getting great value out of. And is equally as important. If they're a more cohesive team, they're probably more likely to check each other's knots, call each other out when things aren't quite right when they're running trainings later. And do they really need to know how to balance the whale watch again? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so uh, I'm always fascinated by that, that those, the ways that the groups lead us to what they need that might not be obvious outcomes that might feel like a mistake or I'm not going where I needed to go. I think there are clear moments in trainings that um, we've talked about beyond basic pacing that I've n- or, or or in adventure basics where I've just not done a good pace. So I've tried to do too much at the start or not enough and got too relaxed. And then the last days of training, I'm rushing stuff, but also the not getting through everything. When I started, I was adamant that I had to get through everything. And I've got more comfortable with being able to tell the client at the end of a training, especially on an on-site training, I just don't have enough time to get to your flying squirrel or your pamper pole even though i'd love to but the staff aren't ready 
which I've got more comfortable in owning my expertise rather than trumping. Well, they've told me they've got three days to get through all this. Perfect example of a place where I was given one day to do training and I've now been very clear with them about the expectation because there's no way I'm going to get through it. But before I looked at what they had as an inspection report and been like, how am I supposed to do all this? Well, the actual answer is I'm not. <laughs> but I would that would have been thinking that I've failed in some way. Yeah, I mean, I think listening to that episode, I, it's almost a rhetorical question for me to ask that because as I heard it, I think we were collectively talking about regrets or course corrections versus I think it was almost just a common language that we were saying mistakes, but for our listeners thinking about, is there really like a list of mistakes to avoid? I mean, yeah, there's some pitfalls, some things that everyone could consider to get better at their craft probably. But I think the word like, oh, if I had made a different decision, it would have had a better outcome. I think that's the kind of like mistake that we're talking about that can't be passed on. And I do think it's entirely in context. Like in my, in my last open enrollment workshop, I did the group norms ready for this on the morning of day five. That is not commonly practiced. And it's because each time I was going to do it, I just, something was like, not yet, not yet. And I don't, I have no way to explain that. Now you could look at that and be like, what's the point of doing us, not us, when the workshop is over in four hours. Well, one, it's an important tool. But our conversation around how we wanted to be for the next five hours, four hours was so rich. So it's like, well, was it a mistake to wait till day five? Or was it like what it was meant to be? I'm not I'm not really sure. Um, and then there are certainly the practical things. And I'm looking at you, Chris, because of your always well-stocked, mysterious backpack. But... You're like, oh, I forgot my water bottle, my ring. Like that kind of stuff drives me crazy. I'm usually pretty good about my routines, you know. But one of the trainings, I went to my bag and I had a plan for activities, and I never put the props in my bag. So, like that was the same. And I, I don't know. No one would have known that I was freaking out, but in my head, I was like, that is a what an error. How do I feel now two hours when I all the activities I had for two hours I don't have the props for? So I had to make up new stuff. Good thing I could figure out that in, in a quick time, but that was definitely an, a feeling of panic for me. We used to kid looking in our bags, this was years ago, that you know, you'd know you look thoughtful and look into your bag and pretend like you're rummaging and looking for just the right thing. And oftentimes you had no clue what you were going to do. You just get your head down, you're looking in the bag and hoping some idea would come into your head and you go, oh, and then grab it and say, oh, yeah, this is just what I wanted. And the group was convinced that that was, that was what you wanted to do, but... I always think of some of the big mistakes would be to not deviate from what you, the direction you thought you were going in. And we've probably all been guilty of sort of leading the witness sometimes, you know, the, the judicial expression where you, you're predetermining the outcome and you're doing it so much so that when you get the outcome, it really wasn't where the group was at. So you feel, you know, foolishly satisfied, but it, it really didn't benefit them. So I, I can think of times when I've done that where I'd, you know, or again, earlier years, I think you, you get older and wiser and whatever you do, but um, but it, it feels like trying to really be wide open, 50% is planned, 50% is going to happen. And and I love living in that world, you know, in the, you know, it's probably less so with training stuff because you're a little more driven by the agenda. But when you think of team development kinds of things and what you're trying to do with the chemistry of a group, 
it's it's the constant reading of it, which is, and I, I, I criticize myself sometimes when I feel like I've missed something. Jeez, I should have seen that or should have done that. Working with Nikki Hall was always a good lesson in that because she just saw things I would never, ever see or hear. And then it really was a thing, and then she would bring it up, and then it became a wonderful part of the workshop. But I, it was kind of a good give and take for years. With you know, I, I learned a lot from her when trying to do that. I think that's an important part around uh, direct service sort of facilitation with groups is having co-leadership because I can't possibly see everything. Um, Lisa has a particular lens and Phil has a particular lens. And so doing that co-leadership and getting that other set of eyes and ideas coming out is so important. You, there's less misses then or mistakes, I think. Um, training's a little easier that way to, to go solo. But. I think it's important, too, that when you, you have a error or something you wish you hadn't done, that you like, acknowledge it and then let it go. We've probably all been in an audience when like the speaker person couldn't get the AV to work and they spend the whole talk talking about, oh, I can't get the screen to work. And it's to like at some point, I, I don't know, for me, I'm just like, oh, be kind to yourself. Like, it's okay. Like, and at, at a camp last week, there was one participant, 15 year old camper who really reminded me so much physically of my son. And he was having a side conversation while I was talking. And I just took a wood chip and I threw it at him. Don't advise that. And then I said, Gus, I'm really sorry I did that. And he was like, it's fine. And then later I apologized again because it really, it was just not professional, but it was so, (laughs) no, but I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was in the context. I mean, it wasn't like I'd never met him before. It was end of day two. And he's like, no, it's fine. No big deal. And I realized like, okay, I was over, like I wanted like. Overly playful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, and like, I didn't need to keep that alive. Right. He let it go. So why shouldn't you? Yeah. Even, you know, when, when I'm working with a team. And there's a, you know, I had a situation a few years ago with a very small group and I, we did blog perspectives and, you know, it wasn't the right activity at the right time. It was great activity, but for their goals, it was too much too fast. And I had a great conversation with the director and I said, you know, I'm not sure that activity, I think it brought you to a level that you weren't ready to go at. Now, is that a mistake? No, but you can acknowledge like this brought us you know, I, I realized that there was some misalignment and he was like, yeah, I think so. And we had a good conversation about it. So I think it's that line of when do you hold on to it and make it annoying? And then when, like, when can you name it? I think when you said Chris too, like the, I always think of the co-leading as sort of a fascinating thing. And, you know, it's the best of worlds when it's a good co-lead. It's the worst of worlds when it when it isn't, which sounds awful to say. But, you know, fortunately, over my time, I've spent a lot of time working with people that I wanted to work with. But uh, I did a lot, a lot of workshops with Carl Ronke over the years. And we were very compatible, I think very similar sometimes in what, what we were hitting. But in retrospect, I think it was a not a mistake, but we could have done better had we been more different because the audience – you know, you're hitting so many, so, you know, working with somebody where it's different, they're going to connect with people, you're going to connect with people, and ultimately you will have connected with more people and probably met more needs and seen them. Whereas I, I think, you know, and this again in early years, I, you know, I think we totally entertained ourselves, but I don't think that was the intention of the five-day work. <laughs> and people learned a lot, but there was still, uh, it, I, I think, the diversity of approach and being teamed up in that way, as long as it's compatible. I mean, if it's not compatible, we've probably all work with people sometimes you say ouch not a good plan you know and just don't do that again i guess uh but 
I, I think that being wide open to that can avoid some mistakes because you'll cover more bases and serve more needs. Yeah, I think, you know, if you really make a big mistake owning it, I, I, groups have been far more accommodating to me when I've just said, oh, yep, sorry, I thought it was going to be rainy in the afternoon and not the morning. I'm sorry we're out there doing, you know, the pamper pole right now while it's pouring. And they're like, hey, whatever, you know, like you did what you could and they they're i think sometimes more forgiving than we are so just own it and they'll forgive you and keep moving on i think there was a there was a program that i ran that uh i looked at the weather and it said it was supposed to rain in the morning and then dry in the afternoon and so we booked the fourth floor we stayed up in the fourth floor it looked outside it was dry we all go out in the afternoon it poured like the whole thing was flipped and i felt terrible yeah, yeah. I don't so know. You how, should yeah. do what I do. Don't think about the weather. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> I know, and it's just like, all right. Well, I don't. They were very. They were fine about it too. But I think I internalized. I'm not really great about not internalizing it, and I don't know if it's the same for everyone. But oh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> if I make a mistake, no one else picks up on it. As I said, like the ah, uh, this is. I was, I was 100 percent sure this eval was not going to be a good one, and they were all like excellence, and I was like, what. Did they see that I did not see? Because I, but I was all in my head thinking, oh yeah, the pacing's weird. I'm not feeling like, you know, it wasn't normal. Because there's been times I've done ABs that I haven't ab- able to flow in the same way that I thought I could, and all of the schedules all muddled up completely. I ended up doing games on the last day because I couldn't do them on the first day for some reason. And I think to their, I think they, wow, what a terrible program. But they didn't know, so I just, I'm the only one who thinks it. They were like, oh, that's cool. Because they, they have no expectations, the adventure part. And in those instances, I, I always think it's the learning environment where they, if you, people feel connected with you. Yeah. It always works. I mean, it may be <laughs> the wrong flow altogether, which wouldn't be good. But, I mean, it's not the end of the world. But if they came and went and they never felt like you related and connected with them, we're limiting their learning. And I think that sometimes can be a mistake to form that connection. It's like a teacher, you know, that some. David Brooks just wrote an article, children learn from teachers who love them. I think it's so true. And, you know, we don't have to love all our people and they love us, but that connection is formed and it leads to, you know, a good learning environment, regardless of the game played, the activity chosen, the initiative you know, decided upon, or the, the element climbed. I mean, in our craft, there's so many different combinations of activity flows and conversations that could work well. I think one of my challenges sometimes is looking back at a, like a team development experience, for example, and, and limiting my own thinking to a certain amount of time where I'm not like, oh, if we had done this, then this would have happened. And like you're saying, Jim, yeah, there's this, if the fundamentals are there, then there's probably, for any given goal, many different options that are going to work well. Now, how you put them together matters. How you make the connection from one activity to the next matters. But there is no perfect formula. For any given program, there's probably 10 designs at least that could meet the goals. So why dwell upon, oh, if it had been this or this? Just take that reflection and implement it into your next design. There's probably some value for participants, too, when whatever we do doesn't feel right to them. Because if everything feels right, then how do they know how their programming should be? But when they get a moment of, oh, that didn't feel right to me, or that was icky, or whatever it was, 
or did they make a mistake? They get to process that for themselves, right? Like, what would I have done? Or how might I have, or, you know, whatever it is, or give themselves slack when they make a mistake. I mean, it's okay. One of the questions I ask beyond basics is like a close call or a near miss. And I've, but I do think that those are learnings for not just the person who experienced it, but I like them being shared because they're often like, whoa. I would have never even assumed that. So one that I've seen that I often share is lowering someone down on a on a climbing wall. The reason why we don't want people to bounce, and I used to always teach that the reason you don't want people to bounce is because it's uncomfortable on you as the belayer. Every time they bounce up, you get pulled up on your harness. But they could also spin around and smack their back against the wall, so you want them to walk down. But it was probably about like, it was before I worked here that I saw this happen where someone spun around and because of the gap at the back from the piece that tightens and then the plastic was large enough that as they spun around and started glowing, a hold, a climbing hold, perfectly hooked into that piece and started choking the climber. Like So I, unless I had seen that or experienced that, I wouldn't have known to teach it. And then me mentioning it now in a class gives more credence to why we want to make sure that people walk down rather than it being uncomfortable on you or the potential for them swinging into their back that there's a natural physical downside to doing that so i think those things are in the moment that could have been seen as a mistake but i don't know how you would have known that that was a mistake until you see it so it's like these anomaly kind of pieces but then they educate others to ensure that that doesn't happen i think people's tendency too is to not report something or feel embarrassed about it and say, I better not tell anybody. Mm-hmm. But I, I've always thought, and we'd say this in the managing an adventure program, a close call is your friend and, and be glad that it happened. And it was a close call because a close call means nothing actually happened. Then nobody got hurt. So then if that's a, a you know, a sort of a sign to change a behavior, change a practice, that's, that's a blessing. That's good. Mm-hmm. You know, where that tendency, I think in those advanced workshops, it's easier to let people, Oh, I can admit that I made a few mistakes. You know what I mean? Like, phew, I've had yeah. a bunch like that. And, you know, having mistakes that are programmatic about facilitation is very different than a mistake that's, you know, a safety one that could be costly or something. That's for sure. Yeah. But I always tell them in that program, I think there's there's strength and validity to mention that we've all at some point made them, especially at that level. But I think it gives them comfort that it's they're not alone because otherwise, if you don't open that up to the floor to say, Can, are people willing to share? Then they do do exactly what you say and never mention it. So no one ever learns from it. They never learn anything from it <laughs> other than I must never mention this. I'll lose my job, right. you know, And but they are often, yeah, close calls. They're not someone getting hurt. Well, I made a mistake in judgment the first year of my career. So I was about 26, maybe something like that, and it resulted in a woman uh, breaking her arm. And it was all just a judgment in the length of the day, how tired people were. And it just kind of all amounted to something. But, you know, I, I look back at that and, and I knew her very well. And it, it had a lot of embarrassing moments too, because it was apparent we're doing things to prove to parents the program was safe. So you can imagine that. So this was the beginning of my career. And I knew the woman and she was very gracious about it. And it was just a fatigue issue that I couldn't have predicted. But I probably, I think now I would have seen. It was big swinging activity too late in the day to do that kind of thing. But I've always shared that at workshops to give people the permission to say, hey, 
this, I've done this, you know, if you do 20 of those, no, that's not good. You know, that's, you know, if you do three of them even, but I mean, if you have a pattern of those kinds of things, that's not good. Because Someone puts their hand up in the workshop and says, I've got a whole bunch. And you're like, <laughs> right. All right, well, that's a problem. Thank you for taking my question. You're very welcome. Hey, thank you, listener, anonymous listener. Thanks for listening. And do it again. Thanks for listening. And can you say, uh, thanks for listening to High Five. Thanks for listening to High Five. <laughs> and then what about, thanks for listening to High Five's podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting I think I'll the guy. <laughs>